Welcome to the Inspire Church podcast. We are a church being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and living in the rhythms of life, seeking the good of the city for the glory of God. Today, we're currently meeting a one-to-one grant match. Please consider giving so we can meet our match. If you'd like to give, you can give at inspirechurches.com. Be blessed. Our culture is fascinated by stories of extraordinary encounters. In fact, that's what we're calling this Advent sermon series. For the next couple of weeks, as we anticipate the Christ of Christmas, we are going to be talking about, we are going to be entering into a series that we've entitled Extraordinary Encounters. Have y'all heard about the aliens and the unidentified flying objects? And I think now it's a UA, there's like a different is it UAP now? I knew somebody would get that. Say UAP now, and you know, I don't know if you've been a fanatic or you've just dropped into some of the congressional hearings, and um, and all of a sudden now we're talking about extraterrestrials and is there life on other planets? Um, our culture definitely is fascinated with extraordinary encounters, right? And whether they're supernatural, paranormal, any paranormal fans in the building? That's demonic, be careful. <laughs> Some of you guys, I'll be quiet on that one. Uh, or extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial, whether it's an alien or it's Bigfoot, any Bigfoot hunters in the room? Um, amen to that. Um, we are fanatical about sudden, kind of unexpected experiences, encounters that are like dramatically interrupting us, interrupting our lives, and radically even altering the way we view reality. Right, it's really changing the way we view reality, and and so um, we are a culture that is so ingrained and so into that. Um, and and one thing that I want to say as we kind of enter into this Advent season, and we enter into this series, uh, while the world is kind of really preoccupied with ghosts and aliens and and all those other things, uh, we want to spend our Advent series in all of the extraordinary encounters of God in scripture. That there is a God who has created this entire universe, the God of the cosmos, and that he desires to encounter you, that he desires to meet with you. Um, and my prayer and, and our goal really for this series as we anticipate Christ is that we would remember how God has encountered humans in the past. That we would go through the text in the next several weeks and we would talk about different ways that God encountered men and women in the scriptures. And so my desire is that we would remember, we would recall how God has encountered people in the past. And in the recalling and the remembering of how he has encountered people in the past, that we would be encouraged to know that he is still encountering us today. In fact, I feel like for some of you, if you would just pause today and if you would really listen with your spiritual ears and you would see with your spiritual eyes, I believe that God has been wanting to encounter some of you in this room for a long, long time. And finally, as we look back at how God has encountered us in the past, as we look to the present and how God wants to encounter us right now, we want to ultimately look ahead. Because that's what Advent is about. It's about looking back and then looking ahead or looking forward to the day when the God of the universe will encounter humanity and his creation for all of eternity. 
when Jesus Christ will come back, when the Messiah, when the king of all kings will reign on the throne and usher in his kingdom forever. I was on my way here and I was just talking about how much I've gotten into in the last couple of years, geopolitics. I've gotten into different, whether it's Taiwan and China or Ukraine and Russia or the Middle East, Israel and Palestine. And, and one thing that I think I've realized as I'm kind of diving deeper and taking a look at all different angles is that man will never be able to solve his own problems. That until the king comes... Until the Messiah arrives and ushers in his kingdom, every piece will be a pseudo peace. It will always falter. It will always fail because we are in our flesh. We are greedy, sinful, jealous, angry people. And until Christ comes to reign supreme, there's not going to be a leader. There's not going to be a nation that is really going to bring the lasting shalom that we long for as a people. We need our king. And so we look forward to the day when he will encounter us for all eternity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And then we will get into this morning's encounter. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would encounter us this morning through the words of the text. I pray that you would encounter us this morning through your Holy Spirit who is here presently in this room. And I pray that we would leave this place thirsty, hungry, desiring and wanting to meet with you more. Lord, would you open our hearts, would you open up our ears and our minds to hear what your spirit is saying. And we pray these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis 32. Genesis 32. And we are going to read 10 verses today. Genesis 32. We're going to read verses 22 through 32. Um, you can open up your Bibles. You open up your Bible apps. We'll have it here for you on the screen. Genesis 32, and we're going to read 22 through 32. And here's what I want you to do. As soon as you get there, you're going to do all this work, and I'm going to tell you to pause for a little bit. I want you to kind of hold that place um, because I want to give you an introduction. I want to, I want to bring you into the story. Uh, we're going to kind of land right in the middle of something crazy. But in order to kind of understand that and unpack that, we're going to definitely need to have some background information. We're going to need to have some context. So open up to Genesis 32 and then just kind of keep that place. And in a few moments, we'll go back to it and I'll let you know when we do. Uh, but I, I want to paint the picture um, so that you can understand the gravity of this moment. Amen? Amen? Now, you know, God created the universe. This is the story of scripture. God created man and man sinned against God. Man rebelled against God. Man turned his back on the word of God and predetermined and decided on his own that he can reign and rule better than God. And you all know from personal experience that whenever you put your hands on the will and you take God's hands off, you are going to mess it up over and over again. And this is the situation that we're in. It's all the result of man desiring to do things his way. 
And we know the scriptures that things just became increasingly worse until God flooded, judged the earth. And yet in the flood, there was grace. There was the ark that was built and there was no one in his family that was saved. And from the ark and from this family, the world began to repopulate. And the Lord promised that he would never flood the earth again. And as you continue down the story, you realize that the Lord throughout the scriptures has always picked a man and a family. And, and, and you realize the Bible is not about you. The Bible is not about me. The Bible is about what God is doing to make things right. The Bible is about what God is doing to make what man made wrong right. And so what God does is you, you, what you see throughout the scriptures is you see God following a family, favoring a family, because through that family, there is a promise of someone, a king is coming that will save the world. A king is coming that will undo all the things that we did. And so what we see is Abraham in Genesis 12, God pulls this man from out of his home and God promises this man, Abraham, that from his bloodline, a Messiah would come. And this Messiah, this king would save the world. And that blessed promise was to be passed down, right? Not just through Abraham, to Abraham, but through Abraham to his son, Isaac. And then it would go to his son and it would continue to move until we finally reach the ultimate son, Jesus Christ. Are you with me? But the problem was, is that when Abraham passed this promise down to Isaac, the problem was, is that Isaac had two sons. He had two boys. And, and, and Isaac favored the oldest, Esau, while God had chosen the youngest to carry on the promise. Are you with me? And so Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac favors his oldest son, Esau, but God has chosen his younger son to carry on the promise and the blessing. Now, here's where it's, it gets real interesting because the scripture goes into detail about these two boys. The scripture tells us that they were twins and that in the womb, that in the womb, these twins were warring with one another. The Bible tells us that I, that their mother, right, uh, she felt the warfare and the wrestle inside of her body. That these twins were warring in the womb. And when it came time to give birth, the youngest came out holding on to or clinging to the foot or the heel of the oldest. Like this is like the ultimate sibling rivalry. And so the youngest boy was named Jacob. And that name Jacob means one who supplants, one who overreaches, the one who kind of grasps and grabs. The one who will do anything to try and get ahead, to come out on top. And Jacob lived up to his name. Jacob was a liar. He was a schemer. And you can read this entire story. 
In a moment of weakness, Jacob took advantage of his brother, Esau, who was the oldest. And he convinced Esau to exchange his birthright for a bowl of bean soup. Now, I don't know if the soup was that good or if the birthright was that bad. But the scripture says that Esau was willing to give his birthright away. He despised it in order to feed his flesh. Now, that's a sermon in itself, but I got to move on. And later on, when Jacob's aging father, Isaac, was near his death, Jacob plotted with his mom. So Jacob was a mama's boy. While Esau was a, a rugged, hairy man. Esau was in the field hunting for game. And Jacob was in the kitchen cooking stew with mama. And when the dad, when the papa, Isaac, who favored Esau, when he, when he was aging and it was about that time for him to die, he was going to bless his sons. He's going to pass down an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance. And not just a spiritual, but a physical inheritance. And of course, we know that he favored the oldest, Esau. And so Jacob, the plotter and the schemer, grasping and always trying to find a way to get ahead, plotted with mama. Where are the mama boys at? Amen. Not many in this church. <laughs> and mama told Jacob to go into his dad's bedroom while the dad was literally on his deathbed and to disguise himself as Esau and so the scripture tells us that he got some goat hair some goat skins and I don't know he put them on himself put it on his neck and dad's like hey you don't sound like Esau but you're hairy right and ultimately he asked his dad for the blessing of the firstborn son and the scripture tells us that the dad gave it to him. Now watch this. After being cheated twice, right, once for his birthright and now for his blessing, Esau's like, I'm going to kill that dude. Like I'm done with this lying, scheming jerk of a little brother who doesn't care about anyone but himself. I'm going to kill him. So guess what? Jacob runs. And he runs to his uncle's place, Laban. And that's another crazy story because then he falls in love with Laban's daughter, right? Which that would make his cousin. And, and his uncle Laban's like, okay, you want to marry her? You got to work for me seven years. But he says he, he loved her. She was so beautiful that he was willing to work seven years. So seven years go by, guess what? They get married. But the problem was Jacob drank too much. Jacob got drunk. And so you know what daddy did? Daddy slipped the older daughter into the tent. <laughs> and so Jacob woke up and he realized the woman that I had consummated this marriage with was not the woman I worked seven years for. It was her older sister. And so uncle was a trickster too. Uncle schemed against Jacob, runs in the family. Jacob wakes up and he's like, yo, that's not the woman I came in here with. And the scripture very nicely in the Hebrew says that Leah just wasn't very nice on the eyes. 
So he went to his father-in-law Laban and said, look what you did. And he said, well, if you want my daughter, you have to work another seven years. And he did. He worked another seven years. So now he had two wives. But then he stole from his father-in-law. He manipulated his, right, someone should make a movie. <laughs> he stole from his father-in-law. And then he, so he ran from his brother Esau. Now he's running from his father-in-law. Esau wants to kill him. Father-in-law wants to kill him. He got two wives. That's a lot. <laughs> and now, after 20 years of running, Jacob knows that if he is to fulfill, hear me out. Jacob knows that if he is to fulfill the purposes of God for his life, and if he is to inherit the promises of God for his life, he has to go back home and face his brother Esau. So in today's story, Jacob is on his way back home. And his brother Esau has gotten word that Jacob is coming. And so his brother and 400 men are on their way to meet Jacob. So Esau's got him and his boys. And Jacob knows that trouble is coming. So chapter 32, the story that we're going to be getting into, begins with Jacob pleading with God to deliver him. Have you ever done that? God, if you just do this, just get me out of here. <laughs> just deliver me, save me, is what he says. And then he devises a plan because Jacob is a schemer. And here's his plan. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to divide my family my tribe, right? This is my wives, my kids, all of my cattle that I stole from Laban. I'm going to divide them into two so that if Esau attacks one, at least one side will survive. But then he says, not only am I going to divide into two, he goes, but then I'm going to say, I'm going to send waves of gifts ahead of me to meet Esau on his way. And the scripture says it was hundreds of goats and hundreds of cattle, and hundreds of cows. Are you with me? And he says, I'm going to send them in waves in hopes that these gifts would earn favor in Esau's sight. Now, it's with that in mind. Now, you can start the timer. Just kidding. It's with that in mind, we are going to jump into the text. Are you okay with me? Are you guys good? Genesis 32. Verses 22 through 32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, dang, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When that man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go. 
for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Now look at this picture. Verse 31. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, and when the author says to this day, it means when the author was writing it. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thighs. In order to receive the courage to face what was coming, in order to increase the faith necessary to step into God's promise, Jacob needed to have an extraordinary encounter with God. Let me say that again. In order to receive the courage necessary, in order to receive the courage to face what was coming, and in order to increase the faith necessary to step into what God had promised, Jacob needed to have an extraordinary encounter with God. And so this morning, I want to highlight three stages of Jacob's encounter for your consideration. Because as we look at Jacob's encounter, my hope is that you would think about your own encounter with God. And so again, I want to highlight three stages in hopes that the stages that Jacob had during his encounter, you would take into consideration as you encounter God. Three stages. Stage one, Jacob was alone. And wrestling. Stage two, Jacob was crippled and clinging. And stage four, Jacob received blessing and limping. Alone and wrestling. Come on, somebody. Crippled and clinging. I can tell who's had an encounter already and who isn't. Some of you who have had an encounter with God are looking at all these things and saying, man, I recognize that. Jacob, in this encounter with God, was alone and wrestling, crippled and clinging, and he was left blessed but limping. Alone and wrestling. Anxious and unable to sleep, Jacob needed time to be alone. So he sent everyone he loved and everything he owned ahead of him. Let me say that again. Anxious and unable to sleep because something was coming, 
Jacob needed time to be alone. So he sent everyone that he loved and everything that he owned ahead of him. Are you with me? And so it was there at the ford of the river alone in the middle of the night that an unidentified assailant attacked Jacob and wrestled him all night long. Now I want to pause because ask any mature believer who has ever experienced real transformation. Not some of this fake thing. Ask any mature believer who's ever deepened their faith over time. And they will tell you some of our most profound encounters with God only come once we are alone. Ask any believer that's ever deepened their faith. Ask any believer that's ever sustained transformation over a long period of time. And they'll tell you that some of our most profound encounters with God only come once we are alone. Once everything that we've come to depend on gets taken away. Once all the people we run to no longer answer their phone. Y'all ever been there? Just seemed like nobody was answering their phone. Once the job is gone, and I know I'm talking to a lot of people because I've talked to about 10 to 12 people who've had to endure months of unemployment. Some of you are like, why are you talking about me? No, there's many of you in this room. Yeah. Once the job is gone, once the funds are low, yeah. once the relationship has failed, that's when the wrestling begins. I'm glad I have four people. Have you been there? Or maybe you're there right now. This is so key and so critical. You see, because before this night, watch this. Before this night, Jacob thought that he was going to contend with his brother. Oh, you don't get it. You see, before this night, Jacob assumed that the biggest threat to the purpose and promise of God in his life was Esau. But that night, he wasn't wrestling Esau. He was wrestling God. (laughs) Because the biggest threat to God's purpose and promise for his life was not his brother. It was him. It was him. It was him. It was him. (laughs) You know, uh, for those of you that are wrestling fans, don't say it too loud. You know, there's, there's something called a heel, Right? Some of the greatest heels. Anybody have a heel that they enjoy? Andre the Giant. Jake the Snake. Come on, somebody got a heel? Throw me a heel. Bret Hart might have been a heel at some point. (laughs) Okay, maybe we're not wrestling fans. Moving on. Uh, See, one thing that I'm good at is when a joke's not hitting or a story's not going, I move on. I acknowledge it and I move on. Hulk Hogan might have been a heel 
later on in his life, Hollywood Hogan. But a heel is the, the person that you love to hate. Right? Ah, heel is a person that you love to hate. And, you know, in wrestling, the heel makes a lot of money, and the heel is what gets everybody crazy. You know what I'm saying? Right? I remember one time, Axel Jim Duggan came out with, like, the American flag, right, and all America. You know, everyone's doing this, like, yeah. And then, you know, he was fighting, like, Yokozuna, who had, like, the Japanese flag, right? And it was, like, you know, in America, like, oh, let's make that guy the heel. We hate Japan. Go America, right? They made all these different. Right, okay. Re- re- wrestling. Wrestling. You guys are, we're in a different world these days, right? It doesn't fly anymore. But that's what used to happen when I was a kid. Iron, oh, there you go, Iron Sheik. I knew we had somebody in here. I was actually waiting for you, Mark. Right, and so a heel is that person that you love to hate. And usually he brings in a lot of ratings. Because even though you hate him, you, you, the ratings that you want to hate him, like you want to throw stuff at him, he gets you riled up, he makes the hero that much more important. Right, and I just want to say, Jacob was like the original heel of wrestling. Like, if you really think about it, like, Jacob was the heel of this story. Like, he grabbed his brother's heel, and like, here in this story, he's wrestling God. Like, he's the biggest antagonizer to his own destiny. He's the problem. I hope somebody catches this in here. Uh, uh, um... Do you want to know why so many Christians remain frail in their faith? Do you want to know why they never grow, they never mature, they never produce good fruit? I'm going to tell you why. Because they avoid being alone. God has been calling them to be alone with him. And they have been avoiding. So they lose their job and immediately busy themselves up looking for a new one. Are you with me? They break up with their significant other and immediately distract themselves by jumping into other dating relationships. And here God is stripping them. God is calling them to get alone with him. But their flesh is distracting them. And the devil is working overtime to busy them up. Why? Because he knows that if they can spend all their time, energy, and efforts working hard to change the outside, they'll avoid processing with the Spirit and wrestling with God in prayer because God wants to change the inside. You see, you think, and Jacob thought his problems were outside of him. You think that it's your circumstances, your situation, it's that person that you're with, it's that family member, it's him, it's her, it's everyone else but you. And yet God wants you to get alone and wrestle with him, not so that he can change them, but so that he can transform you. Take it or leave it, but that is what mature Christianity is. It wasn't Esau, it was Jacob. And the only way that God could deal with the problem was to bring him to a place where he was alone and wrestling. And I wonder if God might be calling someone in here today to a wrestling match with him. When was the last time you've spent some time 
alone with God to wrestle. Have you ever thought that this might be like a divinely inspired season of loneliness? Like I remember when I came back to Christ as a young adult, wrestling, (laughs) warring every night with my flesh and my desires to do everything I could to distract myself and enjoy myself and indulge in the temptations of my past. And God was stripping all of that away. And it was the loneliest season of my life. And I look back and I realize it was a divine appointment from God to wrestle with him. Because I really wasn't alone. God was with me. I didn't pause to really, well, I did, but I could have not paused to recognize that. But because I did, God did a transformative work in me that marked my life, changed me forever. I am here, and you are here. And not to sound arrogant, because this is all about the grace of God, but you're here at Inspire Church because God wrestled with me. 20 years ago. I don't want your hand clap for me. I want you to see God. I'm not the hero in your story. I'm simply saying there was a season of loneliness ordained for me. And there was the enemy trying to distract me. But I held on to God. And he transformed me. He changed me. We move from being alone and wrestling to being crippled and clinging. Evidently, Jacob must have been a really determined wrestler because the scripture says, the scripture actually describes the two men wrestling all night. And not only that, but the scripture also says that the unidentified attacker was unable to gain the advantage. (laughs) That's crazy. And now, if you're a wrestler, Ricky, shout out to you in the building, and I might be wrong, you correct me if I'm later, but I think this is what's called a stalemate in wrestling, right? When you come to a place, it's actually when you come to a place where where you're both unable to gain the advantage, And so in wrestling, a referee has to jump in and stop the match and reposition the wrestlers. Otherwise, they'll be there locked in stalemate the entire night. Are you with me? This is one of the first stalemates in history. And unfortunately for Jacob, there was no referees. (laughs) But fortunately for Jacob, there was an unidentified attacker with supernatural strength who, in a moment to end the stalemate, applied an extraordinary touch. 
It wasn't a lock. It was a touch. The Hebrew is actually, it's touch. He didn't punch. (laughs) He didn't headlock. Right, right. He touched Jacob. And the scripture says that when this assailant touched Jacob, the soft touch was enough to disjoint his hip and render him useless in the fight. And I think it was at this point that Jacob was like, wait a minute. I think I know who this is. You see, up to this point, it could have been, it was dark. It could have been Esau. It could have been one of Esau's men. Are you with me? It was too dark to tell. But when he felt the power of the touch. When just one touch rendered him crippled and clinging. I believe that Jacob knew exactly who it was he was wrestling so that all he could do was plead and say, I will not let you go until you bless me. I get the picture of a father wrestling with his son. Me and my son, we wrestle. And there are moments in times where I like to exert some strength. And I like to apply some pressure because I want to make a man out of him. I want to make a new saw. Just kidding. Just kidding. But as a father, that's what I do with my son. And there are some times where I let my son overpower me. Can you understand what God's doing here? Because God could destroy Jacob in a moment. Are are y'all with me? And yet, he's allowing Jacob to tussle with him all night to the point where there's no advantage. And there are some points, like when I wrestle with my son, and I pin him down, that all he could do is grab onto me. Right? You ever like walk and then they're like sliding on you? And then you're, pretty, you're dragging your kid all the way around. And you think to yourself, I'm so much more powerful than this little thing. But they are latched on. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? God has the power to utterly destroy us. We are sinners. In fact, the scripture says that the wrestler, the assailant says, I need to go before it gets to the daytime. Because anyone who sees my face won't live. God, look, you are a sinner. You should be eviscerated in the presence of a supremely holy God. And yet God permits people to wrestle with him. And he permits you to wrestle all night long. Because he's sanctifying you. He's producing something. He's not destroying you. He's crippling you. I want to take these last several moments to give you four defining characteristics of an extraordinary encounter with God. Four characteristics of an extraordinary encounter with God, just looking at Jacob. Number one, a crippling. When we encounter God, something will always get hurt. 
That's why some of you don't want to do it. Can we be honest? It's not that some of you are ignorant. Some of you know it's going to cost you. You know, when Jacob's sinew shriveled, so did his pride. (laughs) When Jacob's hip was dislocated, so was his arrogance and his ego. When we wrestle with God, self-reliance will be weakened. Self-dependence will be wounded. Self-will will be broken. So that all that's left to do is rely on him. I heard a pastor say this week, God will break us to make us useful in his service. Because it's not until God breaks you that he can use you. It's in the breaking where we find power. It's in the weakening where we find strength because when I am weak, then he is strong. Maybe maybe this is why some of us are avoiding God. Because we know that if we wrestle with him, something's got to give. And it's not going to be him. Because we know that that supernatural touch is going to cost you. It's going to wound you. It's going to weaken you. And for some mysterious reason, our sin in our flesh, we are utterly afraid of walking around with our pride stripped. We want to keep up appearances. We want to keep up reputation. We want our identity intact and it's attached to the things that we do and the people that we're with. But when God removes all of that, when he breaks it away and cripples you, That's when he's got you right where he wants you. I believe that that's why, this first step is why many people don't even move on to maturity ever. We have like perpetual infants in Christ. We do, I know. Second characteristic is clinging. A crippling and a clinging. Those go hand in hand. Because once Jacob was crippled, all he could do was hold on. And maybe that's what God was trying to do the whole time. Right? I'm trying to teach Jacob how to stop trying to do things in his own strength. I'm trying to teach Jacob that he can't enter into the promise. That he can't fulfill the purpose that I have for his life, doing it the way that he's always done it. Man. (laughs) He's a plotter. He's a schemer. He's always, since the womb, been trying to do it in his own strength. He devises his own way, his own plan. He sees it his own way. He does it his own way. Are you with me? All his life. That's all he's done. And the point of the crippling is to get you to stop doing it your way. And to start clinging to God so he can do it his way. 
And some of you are like, like an airplane, like flying in circles, unable to land for years in your Christianity. Years. Years. Like your sanctification stalled 10 years ago. Jacob, crippled and clinging on to his attacker, is not exactly a picture of triumph. Amen? Amen. <laughs> like a victory in wrestling is achieved like when one can pin someone on the ground or like cause the opponent to fall. If anything, Jacob had clearly been defeated, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yet God names him Victor. Wow. Yet God names him. Yeah. He names him Victor. He says, I'm going to change your name from shyster and con artist to one who has wrestled with God and prevailed. In fact, the text says, one who's wrestled with God and man and prevailed. Now, I'm just saying, I'm not quite sure what to do with that. Perhaps it's implying that Jacob was wrestling with God and himself. Or maybe it was the God-man himself. We have a theophany. We have a Christophany. We have the pre-incarnate Christ. Here in the text in the Old Testament, wow. the angel of the Lord every once in a while will show up in the Old Testament. Most angels will say, don't worship me. But this angel will say, give me worship. He'll allow them to worship because this is God himself in the form of a man. If anything, Jacob has clearly been defeated, yet God names him victorious. Verse 28, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and prevailed. What a title. You wrestled with God and you won. <laughs> this is so upside down. Wait, what does it mean to win in the kingdom? You see, in the kingdom of God, we win when we surrender. We win when we give up. We win when we give in. In the kingdom of God, victory is achieved not when we exert our will over him, but when God exerts his will over us. Number three, a blessing, and you guys are doing great. third characteristic is that hey it's it's you're it's gonna hurt <laughs> right you're gonna get crippled you're gonna be left clinging but there's a blessing yeah. Yeah. because God's glory is always for our good God's glory, if you could just hold on, God's glory is for our good. When we encounter God, we always walk away with a blessing. Here's a crazy thing. The, the Jabbok River, right, flowed into the Jordan River, which meant that Jacob was at the doorstep of Canaan. That's really symbolic because Canaan is the promised land, right? God is, remember, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's passing down blessings, He's passing down generational, but he's saying from this people, from this family, from this tribe, and then ultimately from this nation will come a king. Yeah. And so the land is part of that promise. And so here at the Fort of Jabbok, 
right before he enters into the promise, God says, I need to wrestle. I need to wrestle. Fascinating. For Jacob's entire life, he had tried to earn God's blessing. He had tried to inherit God's promise. He lied. He cheated. He stole. He manipulated his way into his blessings. But all it did was devastate his family, detour and delay his journey, and now there was a credible threat against his life. But God is so good, amen? This is grace. If Jacob were to enter the promised land in his own understanding, in his old way of thinking, it would surely lead to his demise. Yet God was faithful to initiate the wrestle. That's crazy to me too. God attacked him. I know my wife, we were talking the other day. She's like, wait, is that right? Like God attacked? Yeah, God attacked him. God initiated. Sometimes what you think is all bad is all good. Yeah, that's, that's another one, right? Like God's grace is the initiation of your loneliness and his wrestle with you. And what you think is bad and desperate, God is saying there's a blessing in that. And we're bypassing the blessing because we're distracting ourselves because we're afraid of it. And yet if you just cling, if you just hold on, if you allow him to wound you, cripple you, then it'll prepare you for the blessing. Listen, I I personally know that it's not easy. I know that walking with God can hurt. I know that encountering God at times can look like a defeat. But I also know if you just learn to cling, if you learn to hold on, not let go, there's a blessing. There's There's a new name. There's a new identity. There's a renewed promise. There's a sense of purpose. There's far greater than anything you could have ever dreamed of or imagined or accomplished in your own strength on the other side. Lastly, there's a crippling, there's a clinging, there's a blessing, and there's a limping. You see, when we encounter God, we will never walk the same. Ever. You will never walk the same again. You'll talk different. You'll look different. You'll think different. Your friends will say, what happened? Your family says, who are you? Because when you encounter God, when you wrestle with God, when you get alone with God, when you take time to be with God, he will wound you. He will bless you, and you will walk away with a permanent limp as a reminder that nothing that has come to you is done and earned in your own strength, but only by His grace. So your limp becomes a testimony, a sign, not just to yourself, but to everyone around you. You're wounded. You're slow. You're weak, but yet you're strong. And here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing that I was kind of just last night looking at. (laughs) The scripture says at the very end of verse 32, like to this day, the Israelites, because of that, they won't eat a particular part of the joint, the sinew that connects the hip. They won't touch it. They'll remove it. 
You know what that means? That means that Jacob's wrestle, his encounter with God, not only marked him, not only marked his family, but marked generations. I've said this many times, church. You think about tomorrow. God thinks about 100 years from now. You think about your kids. God thinks about your great, 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 great grandkids. You see, if you wrestle with God, you encounter his strength and his power. If you become transformed by his presence, you'll not only influence your current household, but entire generations will remember and recall grandpa and grandma's limp. Grandpa was a man who wrestled with God. Grandma was a woman who wrestled with God. And she prevailed. And he has the limp to prove it. He has the scars to prove it. Something's different about him. He was a hard man. He was a harsh man. But something happened. Something happened. She, she, she was an angry woman. She was a, a hurt, wounded woman. But something, something happened. At the Fort of Jabbok. In the middle of the night, something happened. And grandma and grandpa have never been the same. Never the same. I'm going to do it. We're, we're almost finished. Um, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago, last Friday, uh, my wife, she lost her uncle. And this uncle was definitely a father figure. So proud of you. You've, you've mourned, but you've mourned and you are mourning uh, with grace and there's a different, like someone can mourn, but then when you mourn with God, there's mourning, there's tears, there's sadness, but it's, there's, it's just different, and I can sense it and see it. And uh, I'm just, give me a little more time, okay? Yes, we're, we're almost finished. Yeah, Ma, I know you're good with it. Um, he didn't know the Lord. Um, in fact, he had been um, raised Catholic. But by his own admission, he wasn't a practicing Catholic anymore. And he had his reasons. And then maybe about two and a half years ago, on our way to church, we got a phone call. And we had known he had, he had been in the hospital, but we got a phone call that he wasn't going to live through the night. I remember we, we you know, we prayed. And like we were pleading with God, like just give him, 
Just give him more time. And, and God did. God extended his life, like miraculously. Like the doctors, the family, Uncle Ron himself. And uh, it was about a, maybe a couple weeks after he had kind of recovered, and I got a chance to talk with Uncle Ron. And I said, Uncle Ron, we prayed for you. And one of the things that I told the Lord is that if you make it through, I'm going to share the gospel with you. And he said, you know what, nephew? I know. He says, um, I know that while I was in that hospital bed, that it was not me that extended my life. He said, I know I was in the hands of God. I was in the hands of God. And you know, uncle was a very proud man, very traveled man. He had worked in many high places. He had led many organizations. He had traveled across the world. And to do this even as a black man was even double. And so to sit and listen, hear him, his stories of the money he made, the places he went, the deals that he bartered. Are you, are you with me? I mean, and it was funny. I enjoy listening to stories, but you couldn't get in word edgewise with him. <laughs> and, you know, that was okay. I just want to sit at his feet and learn. <clears throat> but when we talked to him on the phone after he had gone through his near-death experience, something was different. He said, yeah, nephew, we need to get together and talk about God. Like all of a sudden, he postured himself as a listener and a learner and a student. And for the entire life that I had been with him, he had never, he was prideful. Man, he's the glue that held it all together. He said, nephew, let's, let's do this. And so him and I, we got together on Zoom. He was in Vegas. And we spent about five weeks going through the first five chapters of Romans. Unpacking the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was hungry. And he was asking questions. And he was bringing up, sharing his disillusionment sometimes with the church that can be hypocritical. And he wasn't mean about it. He was just sharing his story. And he gave his life to Christ. And, he, and here's the thing. My wife and I are going through our texts. I'm going through just texts that he would send me. And there's prayers and songs and, you know, worship. And he just wasn't the same. You want to know why? Because in the hospital room, he was at the Fort of Jabbok. And we assumed that he was wrestling with death. But he wasn't wrestling with He was wrestling with God. And, and in that bed, unable to save himself, unable to 
share his accolades and talk about, he, unable to bring his wealth into this. He was stripped of everything. It was there. He was crippled, literally on his back, alone and wrestling, not with death, but with God. And when he came out of it, he was crippled. He was humbled. He didn't talk the same. You know, we talk about this. It was different. And we thought the Lord extended his life so that he could have more time with us. But the Lord extended his life so that today he's in paradise with Christ. Are you with me? And I know I'm a little, I'm over time, about 11 minutes officially. The Fort of Jabbok, at the edge of the promise, a man who had done things his way, now humbled, wrestling with God, blessed with eternal life, and walking away, never the same, limping, never the same. And so, in a couple of weeks, we're going to go to Vegas, and we are going to celebrate yeah. his life. Yeah. Yeah. And what's really incredible is I got a text from his wife and stepdaughter asking if I would officiate And you better believe they're going to get this story. And you better believe that Jamila's entire family and friends, the generations are going to hear the story of uncle. And though he's not here, his limp and his wrestle is going to echo over and over again. And this family is going to know that he wrestled with God and he won. He won. He didn't die. He won. So, Heavenly Father, I, I lift this congregation up to you this morning. Lord, I pray that your word would pierce the hearts pierce the pride. I pray that your word and your call would beckon us, would humble us, would invite us to get alone with you. Lord, I pray in this room for all of those that are afraid to be alone. I pray for all of those that are even afraid of the crippling or the wounding there's some of us in this room where we've experienced you hard and harsh. Not because you are hard and harsh, but because that's what we've been taught. We've come from spaces and places that have abused us, manipulated us. We have ideas about how God cripples and wounds that are completely untrue and it keeps us in fear. And so, Lord, I just even prayed that we remember it was a touch. <laughs> it was a touch. 
It was just a touch that crippled and wounded. Yes, there was a crippling and a wounding, but it was a touch. It was a touch. And, and God, the touch is gentle and the wound is deep, but it was a touch. So I pray, God, that we would live in that tension. Nobody would walk in here with the misunderstanding or the wrong idea. God's glory is for our good. And so may we glorify him with our lives. May we lay our lives down. May we surrender fully and completely so that I, I, God, I don't want to miss the purposes and promises you have for my life. I want your will to be done and not mine. And so, Lord, I pray that as we leave this place this morning, would you continually encounter us this week? And I pray that as we walk through this sermon series, that we would be reminded of the encounters of the past, that we would be invited to encounter you now, and that we would look forward and look ahead to the day when you will encounter all creation for all eternity and make all things new. So, Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, whose death has made a way for us to come boldly into the throne room. And we're careful to give you all honor and all glory and all praise in this place. May you be lifted up. And we pray these things in the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Inspire Church, God bless you. May God's word continue to challenge and bless you throughout your day. Thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to give to help us meet our match, please give at inspirechurches.com. Have a beautiful day.